Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast, the official source of audio accounts for the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation. I'm Chaz Hathaway, author of Life in the Spirit World, What Near-Death Experiences May Teach About Life on the Other Side. Today we're going to share the experience of Judy from Enderf.org. And Judy says, At the time of the experience, I was working in a highly successful job and had just returned from overseas after many months of hectic travel and travel uh, and taxing negotiations with no relief. The next night, on September 15th, I was putting my young children to sleep on my bed when I fell asleep myself. A few minutes later, my husband came in and began to take the little ones to their room. As he moved the first one, the flesh on the left side of my body began to scream. It felt as if it was twisting upon itself. Almost immediately, I popped out of my body. This was not the first time that I had had a near-death experience. I've had one more that I remember. Also, I've always had spiritual experiences, including a past life memory, which an aunt reminded me of. I popped out through the top of my head, through the wall of the house, the bed was set against the wall, stood up and spoke to a white cloud-like human-shaped figure outlined in blue. I've now come to understand that this was one of my guardian angels. I asked him to help me because my body was dying. There was no uncertainty about his desire or ability to help. He replied, For so long he has been telling you to come out. Now look at what's happening to you. Immediately, one, I knew him, and he knew me, and that it was good and in order that it was so. Two, I knew he was referring to the job that God had instructed me to leave in January 1997. But I had been trying to get away with with keeping the job. And three, I got a bit irritated because I felt that at this crisis point, it was unfair to scold me. I said, okay, okay, I'll come out. I'll leave. Just help me with my body. He told me to go back in and try to call my husband. I did this, but the left side of my mouth was failing, and I had no control over it and could not form the words. I jumped back out and said, the mouth is not working. I could see through the wall of my house into our bedroom where my husband continued to carry the children over, and he told me to go back in and try the brain. I went in and tried to call my husband with my brain, but it sounded like an old record being played on a wrong, slower speed. Again, I popped out thinking, oh boy, this is it. Adios, amigos. I told him that the brain was no longer working, and then he said, Okay, go back in. I'll take over. I re-entered my body, and strangely, I was able to do localized thinking, not remote, like trying to call someone. I asked God not to let me die, but but that if I must, to let it last until morning so that the children would not have the trauma of their mom dying during the night without telling them goodbye. I said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Into your hands I commend my spirit. 
and then knew nothing until my husband came to bed. The whole thing lasted about 20 minutes. When my husband came to bed, I apparently revived and told him that I was not feeling well. He confirmed the statement the following morning and seemed to go unconscious. The next thing I knew was that I awoke. It was morning, and I was checking to see if I was really still here. I went outside to investigate the world, feeling a little tired, as if I had just been jogging. Outside the hills, trees, and flowers looked extra bright, and I was glad to be back. I contacted my sister, a medical doctor, and told her what had happened. She took me through a series of tests, but finding the responses too slow on my left side immediately sent for me sent me for a CAT scan, a computerized axial tomography scan. The results showed a spot consistent with calcification or hardening of the brain. Subsequent tests, ECG, electrocardiogram, EKG, electrocardiogram, and MRI, magnetic resonance imaging, gave me the all clear. That's the end of, of Judy's experience, but uh, Jody Long, the uh, co-founder of, of uh, Enderf, uh, sent an email asking a question that I'm going to read. She says, can you describe more fully about how you know you died? And Judy responds, there was in fact no one present who could clinically certify that I was dead. Indeed, it was in that sense of, or in that sense, a private affair. My husband did not even appreciate the extent of it, and I had slept. When I awoke, it, found, it felt more like being unconscious for the entire night with my head on his shoulder. The incident took place at night at home, and by morning I had seemed to have recovered except for the after-effects I described in my account. I must say, though, that from that experience, that, from that experience, it is clear that humans are aware that they are dying at the point that they are dying. The feelings of the moment cannot be confused with any other sense, any other sensation, such as fainting or going to sleep, for example. The dying sensations seemed to be quite unique and definitely identifiable. Several months after the experience, I was listening to a TV documentary on which they were describing the symptoms of an impending stroke. Every single symptom described, uh, described including the sort of lift-off and float that one can describe while walking, was a symptom that I had been experiencing prior to the near-death experience. I had, in fact, been in a job which, while I had been enjoying it, I had also started reacting quite stressfully to some elements of the responsibilities. Hope this helps. Judith. Okay, that is the end of Judy's letter. And I find this experience very interesting because while she had the experience of recognizing that she was dying, uh, you know, shortly after fall, or shortly after her, the left side of her body began to scream, I assume that means felt pain and twisting in upon itself, as she described it, but almost immediately after that, she pops out of her body, and she says this isn't the first time she's had a near-death experience, and she has one more that she can remember, 
I wish she had posted it here because now we may or may not come across it in the deep archives of Enderf. But uh, she says, also, I have always had spiritual experiences, including a past life memory in which an aunt reminded, which an aunt reminded me of. So it sounds like she has had other experiences before. This is not the first, which um, evidences toward it being a near-death experience. Those who have near-death experiences are more likely to have them again. Not guaranteed, not guaranteed, but much more likely. I would say, I don't know, I'm going to throw a number out there, maybe 50% of the times that after having a near-death experience that they experience nearly dying, they're, you know, 50% chance or so, give or take, to have a near-death experience again. That seems to be and, and yet, that number is coming from those who have had, you know, a second near-death experience. We don't know how many of these people who have had one near-death experience have had two or three near-death, ex- uh, I mean, sorry, nearly dying experiences that weren't near-death experiences later. We just don't know. And so, that could be a skewed number, um, since it's being taken from a sample that is, you know, those who admit to having a second near-death experience. But, you know, I've had people say that it seems a little fishy to them or suspicious when people say that they've had two or three near-death experiences because in their eyes, it's so uncommon to have it that, you know, if there's only a one in in five, or sorry, one in a hundred chance, which is a low number, it's actually more like one in ten, but if there's only a a one in a hundred chance of having a near-death experience, then the chance of having two is so remote that, you know, it's only one in, you know, ten thousand or something like that, and so it's just not likely to happen. But that is overlooking other facts that we have about near-death experiences, including the fact that, um, people who have near-death experiences tend to have some kinds of after-effects, which include increased or higher spiritual sensitivity. And in that higher spiritual sensitivity, um, they are more likely to have, you know, say an out-of-body experience or other experiences relating to spiritual things that that goes beyond just a near-death experience. And the way I see it is if somebody is more highly sensitive spiritually, um, it seems more likely that they are to have a near-death experience. I mean, you know, when we come to this earth, it takes some time for us to become grounded. And, you know, the evidence of that, or one of the evidences of that, is that children seem to be much more likely to have either near-death experiences, sightings of angels, and so forth. And one of the reasons that we don't have as much documentation of that as we could, and we have a lot of documentation of it, more probably than from adults, but um, we're probably not even getting the half of it because, well, let's face it, parents don't tend to believe their their kids when they say that they saw an angel or things like that. And, you know just like they don't believe them if they say they saw a monster or saw a fairy or whatever. But the problem with that, too, when people say, 
you know, they don't believe their child when they've seen, that they've seen a monster, is that, I mean, there are spirits who have ill intent who can appear in very troubling forms. And while most kids who say they've seen monsters probably haven't, the ones who have are disbelieved just as much as those who didn't really. Does that make sense? And so, anyway, uh, my point in all of that is that there is plenty of, of research to suggest the fact, as I see it, that somebody who has had a near-death experience is more likely to have one again than somebody who has never had a near-death experience. I think that's an important point. Okay, so then she describes this interesting discussion she has with, uh, as she describes it, one of her guardian angels, who she describes, interestingly, um, he, let's see, he spoke, she spoke to a white cloud-like human-shaped figure outlined in blue. So a cloud-like human-shaped figure outlined in blue. Interesting description. She says that in her discussion with him, he says, you know, <laughs> well, let me quote him. For so long, he, and this is capitalized H, he has been telling you to come out. Now look at what's happening to you. He's kind of scolding her is what it sounds like. It's like, look, God told you to leave this job and you're still hanging out in this job. You're still sticking with it. And now look what it's doing to you. Now, God knows us all individually. Maybe another person in a similar job would do just fine. But God knows Judy very well, knows what her body can take, and has told her, it sounds like numerous times, plenty of opportunities um, for her to get the message, you need to leave your job. And yet she is has been resisting. Okay, she says, I knew that this person knew me. So they were friends, okay? They were someone, they were, they were close to each other. He was someone she was close to. Whether in life or not, she doesn't specify. I suspect she doesn't think so. But I, just because she didn't ever mention having known this person in real life. But, but she does say that I knew him and he knew me. And that it was good and in order that it should be so. Okay, and then she says that she was referring to the fact that God had instructed her to leave this job since 1997, and uh, this was September of 1998, um, so January of night. So about a year and a half, she had stuck with this job after being clearly instructed to leave. And she said, "But I'd been trying to get away with." Uh, I've been trying to get away with keeping the job. She didn't want to leave it. She liked the job. It was stressful, but she liked it. And so she put it off. And, uh, of course, third, she was a little irritated because, you know, this is a crisis point. She's got to get back in her body to continue her purpose. But, uh, and it was unfair for him to scold her. And uh, <laughs> I think that's an understandable um, feeling coming from, you know, an adult being scolded by another adult. Adults don't tend to like being scolded, and uh, neither do children, but it's harder for children to, uh, to um, fight back, I guess. 
But then the uh, exchange gets even more interesting because she tries. She tries going back to her body. He, he does say, um, uh, you know, uh, okay, you know, first she agrees. I'll get out of that job. Don't worry. Um, just help me get back in my body. And he's like, okay, you know, go back into your body and call your husband. And so she tries, but she couldn't get the mouth. She says the left side of her mouth was failing, which is consistent with what she later says, that um, a stroke or a minor stroke, it fits the bill from what uh, um, she's describing. This uh, left side of the mouth is failing. She has no control over it. And then um, she jumps back out and says, the mouth's not working. And then she she can see her husband is in the other room and she says okay well he says try the brain which is interesting let me let me uh um uh, read this part she said case continuing to carry the children and he told me to try to go back in and try the brain i went in and tried to call my husband with my brain but it sounded like an old record being played on wrong slower speed I don't know what she is trying to do here. I don't know what she's trying to, com how she's planning on communicating through her brain if her mouth's not working. But it sounds like she's going into her brain or into her body and trying to make her brain contact her husband's brain, I assume, or contact her husband with her brain. But the sound is like an old record player being played all wrong on slower speed. So, is what I'm picturing. And I wish, I, for, for this instance, I wish that she wasn't having a stroke because, you know, had she not had a stroke, would it have worked? Would it have worked for her to communicate with her husband through her brain? I mean, that makes it sound like she is under the impression that she can communicate through her brain with another person. And while in mortality and everyday life, she'd probably be like me and say, wait a minute, you can't talk to people through your brain. And yet she, without even batting an eye, goes and tries it as if she expected it to work. Which kind of brings up the question of how much power do we have to communicate through our brains. I don't know. I don't know. N not much, I imagine. It can't be a lot. But she tries this. And it doesn't work because her brain is on a wrong, slower speed, so to speak. And she says, oh boy, this is it. You know, adios amigos. And, uh, and so the guardian angel says, okay, go back. I'll take over. And I don't know what he does, but she goes and and back into her body, and she was able to do a localized thinking, not remote, like trying to call someone else. This may have more um, description of what she was trying to do with her brain, because she's trying to, to speak out with her brain, and it doesn't work. But she tries to think inside, deep inside, and she's able to do so. And she calls out to God saying, if I've got to die... Let it last till morning so my children don't, you know, have the trauma of discovering their mother during the night, you know, dead um, without having the opportunity to tell them goodbye. So basically she wants to tell her children goodbye if she's got to go. Um, and for some reason, this idea of being stuck in a non-working body all night 
doesn't seem to trouble her, but, uh, but she does say, you know, but whatever your will is, let it be done. And says into your hands, I commend my spirit. Basically saying, God, it's totally up to you now, whatever you want. Um, so be it. And then she says she knew nothing until my husband came to bed. The whole thing lasted about 20 minutes. She says, when my husband came to bed, I apparently revived and told him that I was not feeling well. And he confirmed that in the morning. Okay, she says she's not feeling well and then seems to go unconscious, probably before having the opportunity to tell him what's going on. At that point, she sleeps through the night. And I don't know if that is, you know, what happened to get things back in line. But then her going to sleep, she gets up in the morning, wakes up and she starts checking things out. And she's feeling a little weird as if she'd just been jogging. So she's, she's exhausted. She's, you know, her body has just went through severe physical trauma and neurological trauma for that matter. And then, but looking around, this is a sign of afterglow effect, not after, after effects, which she does briefly mention, sounds like later, but um, this after effect, outside the hills, the trees, and flowers looked a little extra bright, and I was glad to be back. And that's all she mentions about an afterglow, what I would call an afterglow. Um, and then she gets these scans, and it, and it looks like there's a little bit of calcification or hardening in the brain, but otherwise she got the all clear. But I suspect that that calcification was a result of a minor stroke, which, you know, through the night she was able to recover from. Probably a guardian angel had something to do with that. I don't know, but uh, very interesting. There's there's lots of little bits and pieces of things that I find interesting in there. Um, but I think there is something to be said for her final last effect of calling out to God and asking for what she wanted, which was to return to her body so she could finish her apparent mission on this earth, and but yet putting it in his hands, saying, this is what I want, but your will be done. I think there's power in that. And it was at that point that things started working. And of course, her guardian angel probably had much to do with that as well. But calling out to God has power. It, it just does. Anyway, if you would like to support the podcast, you can do so by either purchasing my book, Life in the Spirit World, or by going to patreon.com slash ndecast and becoming an ongoing monthly contributor. At the time of this release, uh, we now have six episodes, which it may be more by then, um, that are available exclusively to the uh, monthly contributors. You can also contact the podcast, either to share a comment, ask a question, or to share your own near-death experience by emailing Podcast at gmail.com or by calling 970-NDE-CAST. If you would like to see or listen to past episodes, you can go to our website, neardeathexperiencepodcast.org. All of the old episodes are there. And once again, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, all of you so much for listening.